listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files Podcast, the Guitar Tech Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm your resident guitar scientist over here, longtime guitar repairman and builder. And uh, with me this evening is my lovely co-host, Nat. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that warm greeting. Greetings, Nat. How are you? I'm... I mean, let's just get right into the show. You mean you mean podcast? <laughs> podcast, how am I? Not... Do you remember the time when the gal at the coffee shop said, Hey, how's it going? And I and I told her, and my chickens had been attacked by some dogs. <laughs> I told her this story that was like fifteen minutes long, and she, and when I paused, she said, "Chickens." <laughs> so I'll try not to do that. That was an important learning moment. But that's not why I called. Um, I'll read my speech. I will read the listeners' submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. That's me. That's right. Mm -hmm. I would like to know, what is on your bench lately, Eric? Uh, So much. Uh, Refrets. You know how everything comes in waves? I've heard this. Well, now I have threes. Now I have waves coming in waves. Oh, yeah. So, like, there's, 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 like, four neck resets, four refrets, all in line. There's a whole bunch of, I have like 10 custom order pickups I need to wind. Whoa. Fractal wave packets. Yeah. I am way behind. I'm like six weeks behind at least. Oh man, that's pretty far. And I've, I've just been turning work away because it all shows up at once. I don't know why my business has absolutely exploded. It's like everybody's guitar broke it at once. Like there was a flood. And... Uh, so I'm actually, people who contact me first, which is always a good idea, oh. I'm telling them, sure, I'd be happy to work on that in like May. L- let me take your number down. I've started a waiting list. Oh, Because I'm man. so far behind. Uh, I know, this is really... Oh, a, no. This is take really a number. A, this is really a ringing endorsement for, <laughs> for my business <laughs> yeah. here, isn't it? Yeah. And you sound really enthusiastic really, and happy about it. Yeah, I know. It really negates... Well, I apologize for not taking a number. It negates the point of this podcast. Yeah. But yeah, I'm way behind. My hands ache. Oh, that ain't good. No, it's terrible. And I'm, I'm, I've been sick off and on. Like my kids get sick and then I get sick and then my kids get sick and then I get sick. And it's just this revolving door of viruses. Like, yeah, let me up. Like, what is it with winter that makes us get sick? Why? 
I don't understand that. It's cruddy. I think it has something to do with the nose. It's I mean, not, is it not the temperature? Indoors as much. It's is it, like is it the air? Is it the humidity? Air and the nose can't filter it quite as well. Well, I don't know. Because it's not that viruses survive better in the cold. It's like no, it's transmission. But I think it's also maybe coincidentally going in a wave. I'm not sure. We better not tell no tales. Out Why? Of class. I I wish I understood this. Why do we get sick? in the winter with colds and flus and not in the summer. That doesn't make any sense to me. Anyhow, that's not what Sunshine. this podcast is about. Well, that's a good point. That could be. Well, I take a lot of vitamin D. I do too. I saw a tiny sliver of sun today. Man. Yeah. Spring is around the corner. Mm. I'm way, I'm way behind in my shop and in, in work and, uh, you know, other, other than that, life's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. Well, you still got a good fire. Oh, yeah, we're and sitting by a roaring fire. Because it's the middle of March. It's the mm-hmm. Ides of Dang March. I know. Beware and, the Ides of March, man. And, yeah, and <laughs> it's still fire weather. And I had to get the old square nose shovel and play in the gutter. Yeah. And chop things out because it was about to make a terrible mess. But you're right. I mean, it can't hold out forever. It's got to relent. Well, yeah. So, and my, I did my taxes. I ended up owing oh. a ton of money. Yeah, we're getting to the root of this now. Tell me more. So I had to send all my damn money to this government. Yep. And as like <laughs> as I'm sending it in, the transmission in my car goes out. Yeah. So the money I would have had to buy a car is now. Yeah, over at Biden's house or what? You know, wherever well, they keep it. Well, they had to and, bail out this bank, man. Oh, I know. Them rich guys. All these banks. There's going to be a lot of spirit Halloweens popping up <laughs> this fall in old banks. <laughs> I tell you, people know what that is. It's like the death knell of when a, a shuttered business they get one bare bulb light bulb on it and then they sell the worst most egregiously disgusting Halloween yeah, things. Yeah, for like one month out of the year yeah. this this Halloween pop-up shop. <sighs> what are we even talking about? What's well, going on? People keep sending these dang guitars and you, you're trying to get to the root of it and you can't develop any momentum. You need some measure of it's momentum. A fact. And, but see, then I talk about this on the podcast and now I'll get six emails. Eric, let me come help you. Hey, that sounds great. That's the opposite of what I need. (laughs) Oh, come on. Give them the benefit of the doubt. You need a little apprenticeship. Mm, No, thanks. Well, no, thanks. Um, Anyway, what's new with you? Your roof is leaking. Yeah, my dang roof's leaking. You got like buckets in your kitchen catching the rainwater. It's more of like a rag. (sighs) I'll tell you what, of all... The apt metaphors in life, there can't be a better one than a leaky roof. Oh, man. With a bucket oh, that's or a, that stuff. That is like when a it country rains, song. Pours, it is, and you here's a hint. I'm not a roof luthier, but you can't actually fix it when there's snow yeah. on top of it and it's right. leaking. Roofier. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wait until... You gotta wait until the sun uh, the the sun comes out yeah. and the snow melts and then you can and then fix you'll it. never know what exactly did it. Yep, it's been a long winter. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I know, it feels like the movie Groundhog Day. It's like, guess what, campers? It's going to be cold. It's weird. And it's going to last the rest of your life. We haven't seen something like this since we were jumping off the roof into snow in like 83. This is the kind of winter we'd have when I was a kid. Six. Yeah. It's cyclical. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Weather. We think we know it, and we're just we're just ants crawling around. We don't have a clue. Yeah, man. That's I what tell Schopenhauer what, said. We don't have a ton of questions on paper, but we do have like four or five calls. Well, it sounds like we have a lot of questions in our hearts, too, at this point. I'm... You know what? <laughs> I try not to. Oh, yeah. There are, I try to avoid there, it, too. There are things in my life that are just rocking, and I'm going to focus on the things that are rocking there you go life's a garden dig it and that was in joe dirt fix one guitar at a time yeah there you go and see the problem with it with that is though for me the money is in making guitars repairing guitars is a time suck because it's so time intensive i'm thinking i'm just going to cut back on repairs and I've, mm. I already have, like, I drew a line, and people got mad. Like, okay, no banjos, no mandos, no ukes. No pointy no, guitars. Yeah. Like, if somebody has a Floyd Rose, I'll say, look, there's a, there's a place for you. It's not here. Yeah. It's not here. That other place. Go there. So, I'm, Heavens. how do I draw a, I'm going to have to get out my chalk and really draw some boundaries. Really draw some invisible Guitar boundaries. Gosh. Anyhow, let's take some calls. What man. an awful situation. Hi, Eric. Hi, Nat. It's Ben here Yay. in the UK. Today, recorded in mono for your oral delight. See what he did? Um, I was <laughs> just listening to the answer you gave on the last podcast and thought I'd clear up a couple of things. The uh, guitar with a weak E string, oh, it yeah. had a tunomatic bridge, and that was where the problem was. Yeah. I found a fantastic new tech in uh, the UK, a guy called Paul Cuthbert near Cambridge. And he actually sorted it out before I heard your answer. But it was exactly like you said. It was the um, the saddle on the Tudomatic Bridge. He, um, it's almost like I'd done this before, huh? Well, that is, that's a good guess. I remember there was a lot of guesswork, too, yeah. because we didn't listen very well. But yeah. it's that's it. Mechanical connection. Yeah. Let's hear. He recut the saddle slot for me. I think he might have flipped it around so that there was a better brake angle as oh. well. Oh. Um, but whatever he's done, it has fixed it, and it was, like you said, saddle slots, um, and it's fixed. But yeah, just give him a bit of a shout out. He's a great tech near Cambridge. Shout out, Cuthbert. Um, my son also made a full recovery from stripping the <laughs> telecaster. Um, it barely stunted his growth. Uh. At all, so <laughs> Keep up the good work, and um, yeah, love the show. Cheers. Oh boy. Thanks, Ben. That's our buddy Ben. That was a great check-in. Yeah. Well, I t- he's always got he's always got good check-ins. Yeah. Um. But there's really nothing f- for me to comment on here. It's just that uh, he just called to say I was right, and <laughs> and I always appreciate okay. that. Hey, y'all. This is Hunter from Houston, and I just want to say thanks for the great show. And a quick question: I've got a T-style guitar built out in Dripping Springs, Texas by a guy named Burley, Burley Guitars, a great guitar, which is odd, is the third string hits out really quickly, where it looks like I've been playing it for a month or two, when all the other strings are about 
you know, one set in one day or so of playing. Mm. Uh, I've used 11 gauge, 12 gauge, and now 13s are on there. So wound G on the 12 and 13 sets playing on the 11. None of them work, and it's only the third string. It's really odd. So I'm just wondering if you've ever encountered that and if there's any advice on how to get get it to not do that. Okay, thanks, and stay cool. Bye. To get it to not do what? Did you, did you catch that? Is it fretting out on the third? He said the it's third, the third, the third string, string is doing something. Yeah, but it wasn't as simple as fretting out. Plus, I was still thinking about dripping roof and dripping springs. And right. Great show. And a quick question. I've got a T-style yeah. guitar built out in Dripping Springs, Texas by a guy named Burley. Burley Guitars. Got Great this. guitar. It's distraction. What's odd is the third string pits out. Pits out? Pits out? Really quickly, where it looks like I've been playing it for a month or two when all the other strings are about, you know, one set in. How about this? The string goes dead, in his opinion. I mean, sure. This would, this would help if Hunter was well, here. Well, it's just, it's, we're guessing yeah. at his problem. He put us on the spot. Hold on. Let me, I'm going to hit pause and get myself a beverage and, <laughs> and think about this question. Get, Man, give me just a second. That was genius. Okay, I'm back with the beverage. I'm still but flummoxed. Yeah, you don't have a solution. We should no. have kept that pause dealing on. I'm sorry, I'm nonplussed at this question. Yeah, you are. D- he said it p- pits out? Like pitted? Like it gets... Have you ever seen where... Hey. where where yeah strings get like dents in it from the frets yeah and and even if you keep them on for about 75 years it'll cut the round wound stuff the third string yeah you may He's be on talking something. about the g string yeah. which would be right. plain on a set of 11s he said wound if he goes up to 12s 13s um i don't th- i would use here's what i would tell you Use the gauge you like. Don't go up to 13s just mm-hmm. because you're having this problem. Yeah. I think the other thing that you're experiencing is, I think it's possible, if you're talking about the, like the string gets, is getting... Gets a kink, right? That, at a over the fret. I think you're possibly pushing too hard, and maybe this is a... My guess is you got ginormous frets on that yeah, guitar jumbo custom dealing it's where a lot of yeah a lot of these custom mm-hmm. tele makers like for some reason they like to use flat radiuses like a 12 inch 10 inch radius oh on a tele yeah and hmm. huge gigantic frets because that's the blues they they think well i wish you'd told me that years that's ago. what they think i need some secrets well right. see but i think the opposite right i like them the way they are supposed to be yeah. like they were made originally yeah. seven and a quarter inch radius with smaller frets. I think they play better and I think they sound better and I think they feel better and I think it's easier to play in tune. I bet it is for most people. When yeah. you've got those giant frets and you press, if you press even just a little bit too hard, you go sharp. Yep. And yeah, then, and you can experience crazy. all kinds of problems like what this guy's talking about. This is my guess. You have your frets are giant. And you're pushing too hard. 
Probably sweet guitar, though. But if we're way off, if we didn't understand what you're saying, yeah, maybe write in. Maybe call again. I don't know. Yeah, give I us another shot. No, give us another shot. We're man. not in top form. No, and I'm not a. I'm also not a mind reader. Even though I've been accused of. <laughs> let's. I've been accused of that, but I'm not. Let's I swear uh, I'm not. Well, let's give it another shot. Try another one. Okay, I have another call here to to. to Let's yeah. see. Let me find it. See, people will email audio segments or they'll call the number. So I have to... Okay, now we're getting to the actual calls. <laughs> A person actually called 757-774-8482 and left a message that sounds like this. Good morning. This is Bob Lang in Vermont. I like it. And I enjoy your podcast uh, every couple of weeks. It's very AM radio. When it's released. That's great. Here's my question. A couple of years ago I purchased a um, Fender Stratocaster Deluxe model uh, electric guitar obviously. I'm branching out from my acoustic point. Mm -hmm. And this um, this model has a uh, pickup the configuration is called HSS, which is a yeah. humbucker and it's called, it says a, an atomic humbucker and two single coil noiseless N3 pickups. And there's a five position switching. And I just kind of don't understand what each of these, um, pickups provides for me as the player. And how to decide which position one, two, three, four, or five to uh to switch to and and um I mean, I just randomly switch through it until I hear something that it says that seems to me it's okay, and then I just you know, go with it, but I'm just trying to educate myself a bit more on what's going on with this these uh Three pickups, the HSS configuration pickups and the five position switch. So any help you can provide to give me a primer or maybe a middle school kind of level understanding would be much appreciated. Uh, my contact number, if you need to reach me, is oh, oh that, no, wait, yeah. not gonna, we're not going to play your that, phone number on the air. That's a good one, Bob. That's very good, though. I tell you what. Um, a few things come to mind. One is something we were talking about on the podcast a while ago where, you know, when we were kids, you go to the grocery store to buy Oreos. Oh, yeah, man. And there's one kind of Oreos. I know where you're going. There's exactly one kind of Oreos. Mm -hmm. You know where they are in the store. You know what they look like. You know what they taste like. You know about how much they are. Mm-hmm. You go, you have a hankering for Oreos, you go to the store, you grab the bag, you're on your way out the door. You were not at any moment paralyzed by excessive choices. Variety. Now, you go to the store and buy Oreos, they got a whole aisle. They do. They've got triple stuffed and double stuffed and strawberry Oreos and mm-hmm. chocolate Oreos mm-hmm. and inside out Oreos. And St. Patrick's Day Oreos and mm-hmm. and uh, it waffles. Go- they have waffles. It goes one time. on it's great. and on and on and on, like like 
cartoon characters on the Oreos. It's utterly bewildering. It's like what they've done with strats. It used to be, oh man, you ought to buy a strat. You go down to the music store, eh, there's a couple colors. They're the same. Yeah. They're the same guitar. Yeah. You could have it in black, you can have it in sunburst. Now, you've got the Billie Eilish strat and the and the are you making stuff up? I don't, she probably has a strat. Okay. I don't know. You got the slash yeah. strat Some and the Les Paul signature strat and the text and the one and the and the the one with HSS and the mm-hmm. Roadborn Roadhouse Smokehouse yeah. special <laughs> and the and the, the other inside one inside out strat and the bowling ball strat and the oh give me a break, man. I just wanted a strat. And now yeah. I'm all confused. He's totally cornfused. So that's one thing. He bought. <laughs> I don't even. Did he say what model it is? It's a. Uh, oh, I don't. Was it Fender Stratocaster Deluxe model electric guitar? Oh, that's, that's right. That's what he says. That's right. He did say it. HSS Hum mm-hmm. Single Single. Now, down at Fender. They got a little uh, research and development back room back there. Where they come up with crazy, like kind of like I do, wiring <laughs> diagrams, right? Yeah. They go, hey, let's make one that does this. And so you buy it, and unless you have your secret orphan any decoder ring, it's anybody's guess what that switch is doing. You're going to need you a hang ha- tag. You have to either get the manual or look it up on the internet mm-hmm. and say, this is the model I have. What in the heck does the switch do? Because some of them, they've got a little, they've got a hidden button on the volume knob. Oh, I've that seen you that. Push yes. in, or they've got a separate thing that you flip, and then you get. It's ridiculous. Yes. It's ridiculously uh, and needlessly um, complicated. Yeah. So, I understand your confusion because I too, Bob, am confused about how a strat is wired when I see all the extra switches and the push button thing on the volume knob and the HSS because it used to be you bought a Strat. It had three pickups mm-hmm. and it had a three way switch. Yeah. Then they, they got fancy. They put in a five way switch. That wasn't that hard to figure out, but now it's to the point where you, you have to figure out how it's wired because it, it's anybody's guess. Right. It's not just switching them in order. No, you know, it's right not. Right to left, that kind of stuff. No, it's not. Cause sometimes there will be, like, the outermost pickups. There's a setting yep. for for one coil of the humbucker to interact with the neck pickup to, and make it like a tele setting. Right. So, you know, one way to figure this out, this is a just a hillbilly way to do it. Plug your guitar in, get a screwdriver or some kind of metal implement, mm-hmm. and one by one go through the switch settings and tap each pickup. And when it comes to the humbucker, tap each coil. So here we go. Setting one, tap each pickup. Okay, this one made a loud pop. Right. In this setting, this pickup's on. Next setting. And write this down. Here's the settings. Here's what pickups are on in those settings. Then you, at least you have an approachable understanding of, okay, when the switch is in this position... These are the pickups that are on. From there, go with what you like. Go with what sounds good to yep. you and go with what 
um, moves you. Yeah. And it sounds like, and, and, um, I'm glad you didn't just say that to start because it's not, it's clear that it's not obvious. Yeah. I like that phrase too. It's clear that it's not obvious. And he's saying, Hey, I can kind of hear a difference, but I'm not sure what's going on. So his sense is there's something going on besides, you know, left, middle, right, or right. So, so he's probably right. Yeah. So you got to do some research there, Bob, and and uh, figure it out either by testing the switch by tapping the pickups, mm-hmm. or looking up a schematic online and it'll tell you what it's doing. But beyond that. Just find the settings that sound good to you and rock and roll. There you go. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Yeah, that's all you got to do, man. Hello, Eric. Hello, Nat. Oh, uh, this is Anthony calling from Chicagoland area. Oh. Um, first, I want to apologize to Nat oh, no. <laughs> for mispronouncing his name. Um, a few months ago, I called back with a question. Oh, I wouldn't have remembered. Eric stopped the show to correct me. What did he call you, Nate? Was, uh, he might have. Funny. He, uh, that's he a comment. He back on that one, buddy. Could've... So, well, uh, I mispronounce my name once, too. <laughs> um, hey, my question for Eric is regarding relicking um, a refinished guitar body. I, I've called about it before. Uh, it's a 66 Telecaster that's Ooh. already been refinished and routed and player-grade condition pretty much. So um, it's been my project. Uh, I filled the route with ash, uh, replacement piece of ash wood. Um I got the proper templates from Stuart McDonald and then cut the proper neck pickup route and the wire channel. Um, I, so I basically I've been refinishing it. I refinished it with uh, the white vinyl sealers from Stumat. Um, then I did a sand. Then uh, I found a charcoal frost metallic that I really liked Ooh. from this company out of the UK called Dartford. Uh, then I use, after a couple of coats of that, I use the Stumac Clear Nitro. Um, these are all aerosol cans, by the way, so I don't have a spray booth. I just set up in my backyard. I've got a shed in my backyard, and I try to isolate it and keep it with, so no dust gets around uh, sticking to the body. Um, but I haven't relicked it yet. I've been playing it. I love the way it sounds. It's got your pickups in it, by the way, which are amazing. Thank you. And I've Thank been watching you. some videos of guys on how to relic a guitar. And without giving away any of your secrets, because I know that's, you know, part of what makes um, your custom guitar so special. But, uh, you know, these guys are using key, key, a set of keys or, you know, they're dropping on the guitar or like a small stone or razor blades or scraping it against uh, the sidewalk, whatever. It's oh, depending upon how... Um, how much you want to relic the body. I'm not really into that whole heavy relic thing. I, I, I do like some finish checking. And, um, you know, I've got like a, I've got an old, um, Fender, uh, reissue strap. And it's, that's worn out. I've, I've worn the paint off of it, but it doesn't have any like checking lines or anything like, like that. Like, you know, Gibson's have that sort of thing, the Murphy thing where they do with the razor blade and, um, even some old Gibsons that I have have that kind of uh, checking in it, but it seems to me that fenders don't really do that so much. I don't know what that is. If maybe you can explain a little bit of that. But really, the question is, when it comes to relicking. Oh, did we time him out? <laughs>
He, uh, <laughs> I think we got the gist. <laughs> oh man, the other day when I I, li- I listened to the podcast, which I don't usually do, but it was, gosh, it was good. It was pretty good. And then you hit it with the old beep, <laughs> the censored beep. When it blows your headphones off. <laughs> was, yeah. I laughed out loud. It was fun. I think we got the gist of where Anthony's headed there. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, there's a second call from him. Good thinking. Hey guys, sorry to carry on like that. I, I guess I uh, went over my allotted time. Um, just wanted to follow up and just ask: Do the aerosol cans that Stumac sells for their nitro do they actually relic the way that um, a vintage uh, guitar would relic? Oh, or um, in your experience, have you, have you um, do you have any idea in, in that regard? If uh, if I go about with the hot, cold thing to get it to crack a little bit, if it will even crack. So if um, if you want to use this for the show, that'd be great. Um, if not, I understand. I apologize for, for taking too much time. Thanks. Oh, no problem. Hey, that was a really nuanced and interesting question there. Yeah. Not just should I use nitro, but does brand matter it does yeah listen to this oh yes this is a good one well it took me a long time to learn this okay and and um i had to talk to paint companies and figure this out but even like i buy my paint from mohawk and they'll they'll sell two identically labeled paints one in a gallon and one in an aerosol right so they have like a standard, like a 12-ounce yep. rattle can with a marble inside and a, you know, mm-hmm. nozzle, nozzle mm-hmm. you push with your finger. And then they'll have like a gallon bucket. Yeah, they they open will open and spill. And they'll say the same thing on it, like, you know, whatever, whatever Fie- it says. Fiesta Red, Nitro, something. Uh, that Well, they don't have Fiesta Red, yeah. but it'll say, you know, whatever, um, Nitrocellulose yeah, lacquer, right. yeah, number yeah. five yeah. or something. The one in the rattle can is different from the one in the gallon bucket, yeah, because in order to make rattle cans shelf stable and viable, they put additives in them. What a world! They put retardants and plasticizers yeah, in them, plasticizers to make. It flow better because it's not going out of a gun. It's going out of a little plastic nozzle. Yeah. And so they put, they put stuff in, in, uh, aerosol cans to help it work better, which makes it so it won't check. Right. Now that's not, that's not their goal, but that's the outcome. Yeah. Well, and that, that brings up another important point that you've talked about before. Um, they're, they would, many, most users of these things would be pretty mad if the thing checked. Right. So these paint companies don't want that their is paint their to check. Yeah. Because can you imagine if you, you know, you sprayed this nice thing, you did some marquetry, you did a nice yeah, cutting board, you did a, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not coming up with good ideas, but then you're like, hey, this thing weather checked. This is terrible. Yeah. They don't want their paint to check. So you have to, it's like an off-label usage of this stuff. Yes, right. Yeah. So I've not found any clear, or even ambered for that case, nitro lacquer in a rattle can that'll check. Oh. 
very well. Okay. There are some that'll they'll check a little bit. And I mean, I tell you what, there's a whole bunch of different kinds. Uh well, I'm not even going to get into the brand names, but some will check better than others. Some seems like they never dry. Like they'll be tacky forever. Mm-hmm. The ones that were best were taken off the market about five years ago. They're Did no they longer available. Something terrible in them. There was a Valspar uh, clear lacquer in a rattle can that was a beautiful thing. And uh, it's no longer available. Now, I use the gallon buckets. And I use I use Mohawk piano lacquer or stringed instrument lacquer. It's oh, literally wow. called stringed instrument name. lacquer. Yeah. It's good stuff. And it's the old recipe, and it will check. Mm-hmm. You have to apply it right. The humidity has to be right. You have to let it dry right. You have to put it on in the proper thicknesses. You have to thin it properly. I mean, this this just doesn't happen on its own. Yeah. You, there's there's about 10 different ways you could mess this up so that it won't it makes it hard to check, right? If you do everything right, they check beautifully. But I tell you what, there's a whole lot of variables and uh if you spray it just a little too thick on a day that's raining or something, you, you know, you screw up your whole you screw up your whole schedule. Mm-hmm. So, don't just expect to buy Lacquer in a rattle can and spray it on there and then have it check. It might. But if it doesn't, there's your explanation as to why. There's probably plasticizers in it. Maybe you put it on too heavy. Maybe there was too much humidity in the air when you sprayed. I don't know. There could be ten different reasons, but the most probable reason is when you use a... a an aerosol can. They put additives in those that are plasticizers that are supposed to make the paint work better, but the end result for you is that it won't check. Yep. Because of the delivery mechanism. How interesting. Yeah. Did I answer all his questions? Yeah, well, he wanted to know a few other little relic and secrets. He had. He did have an interesting question. He asked about is it easier to check Gibson, or sorry, I said that wrong, on a Fender than a Gibson? And he talked about how, I guess for these Murphy guitars for Gibson, which I don't know what that is, but maybe, you know, whatever. It's a um, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, a thing. yeah it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything if I don't know about it. Um, <laughs> they're using just razor blades, and I have seen that yeah. on the internet, yeah. like you said, and the keys and stuff, but... Um, would, could there be any different or uh, any difference or would it be the entire processes that are, uh, I guess that then you've got even more variables if it's, you're talking about the whole yeah. um, assembly and custom shop and that kind of thing. Before guys really figured out how to get real lacquer checking, most of these relic finishers, um, and there's a bunch of them. I don't want to say their names, but they were using 
razor blade checking. So it's fake amazing. checking. Where you go to, you take a razor blade and you actually sc- scratch each individual, each individual line. line. Yeah. And hand. you like study like, like, like a painting. Yeah. You'll study. It's like a real examples of great checking. forgery of yes. checking. Even the best guys, the really talented guys at forging lacquer checking, mm-hmm. if they if they do it just perfectly, it still looks fake to me because the edge is wrong. When you look at a real lacquer checked guitar, they the it doesn't look like somebody dragged a blade across it. Right. It's a very it's, unique it's, looking thing. It's not a thing. furrow. It's a fracture. Yeah. And so it has a little more variation. Yeah. It's very unique looking. And it and so lacquer checking, when you do it with a razor blade, looks good from about 10 feet if, if it's really well executed. But man, up close, it's just, it looks like a $3 bill. It ain't there. Quite but, a skill. But All right. uh, I think the problem is with a lot of... Um, with Gibson's is it's hard to find a freezer that they fit in. Oh, hey. No kidding. Think about that. I know, right? Um, and with fenders, it's pretty easy. You take the neck off, you just stick it in your freezer. How right? convenient. Yeah, I know. Maybe they don't want to freeze some $8,000 Gibson of the month club deal. Yeah, yeah people get freaked out about that this. Was. People do get freaked out about that, and it is a thing, but... Yeah, freezer checking. Huh. It works if you use the right paint and apply it properly. It does work, absolutely. And sometimes you have to put it in the freezer and then heat it up and then put it in the freezer and heat it up and put it in the freezer and heat it up. It takes, it's a process. Man, I think it looks so good. I I just love it. I do too. I just love it. I do too. I've spent a lot of time figuring out how to make it. Looking, yeah, looking I love real. a little bit of ambering and uh, yeah. and that stuff. I got a friend who's got a D16 Martin, which was a sort of cheap D18, had hmm. fewer appointments, and it's the most lacquer-checked thing on earth. And I think it's because he dragged it around and played it inside and out because it wasn't a... Is this your buddy Clark uh-huh. in Utah? Yeah. yeah, he shredded on this D16. Yeah. And we we played outside in Salt Lake. You know, with the snow coming down with Christmas shoppers, we'd play... I just play a snare drum, and I think that that those temperature changes, yeah, and maybe the formulation they were using. I would guess this in eighties. I think he got it new. Mm. Um, it 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 looks awesome. They were using real lacquer. I then. I'd guess so. Let's take a little break, and we'll come back right after this. After these messages, we'll be right back. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just got a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. You know, playersgearmusic.com is the go-to place for neck heating irons or neck presses. 
We've been telling you about that for a long time, but you should really check out his effects pedals. Go to playersgearmusic.com. Rick over there makes custom guitar pedals, and he makes all kinds. They're so unique. Check them out. Uh, Distortion pedals, boosts, fuzz pedals, and sometimes they're in really unique um, containers. Sometimes they're uh, painted wild. you got to check it out. Playersgearmusic.com. While you're there, look up the neck heating irons that he sells. It's the only place on earth that I'm aware of you can still buy one, and it's essential. It's essential in my shop. I use mine all the time. Playersgearmusic.com. Check it out. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Thank you for the podcast. You're welcome. That's the greeting. You help ease my long daily drive. I can get two episodes in a day. Wow. I have a 1984 MIJ made in Japan Squire Strat with the three-bolt neck. There's a small crack about one inch long right next to the truss rod adjustment that is near the headstock. I was thinking about finding a glue can, a glue I can warm up a bit to thin out and try injecting it into the crack with a needle. Hmm. I'm just trying to avoid the crack from growing any further. What are your thoughts on this, and what type of glue would you use? Zane in Colorado. Howdy, Zane. Mm-hmm. There's a small crack about one inch long right next to the truss rod adjustment that is near the headstock. So it's coming okay. like bullet truss rod Yeah, or so it's got a, a headstock adjustment. He doesn't say if this is maple or rosewood. What would that be? Three bolt neck? Do they have some rosewood? The yeah, they had maple and rosewood. Okay. Um I'd have to see it. I don't know. I mean, my inclination is I like I mean I use hide glue for everything. So mm-hmm. I like to use hot hide glue. I would work hot hide glue in there, or if it's not really very structural, you could you could put C A glue in there. That's super glue. Yes. Cyanoacrylate. If the crack goes all the way through to the truss rod, make sure you're not seeping a bunch of super glue into it's the gross into the truss rod yep. cavity, into the truss rod adjustment on the threads or anything like that. But yeah, those are the two glues I would reach for: either uh, CA glue or hot hide glue. And um, hot hide glue is pretty tricky. We've talked about it a lot on the show, but depending on I don't. Depending on if this is maple or rosewood, like if it were rosewood, I'd be more prone to, um, if it were rosewood, I'd be more prone to use, uh, super glue. Oh yeah? Yeah. For visual reasons? Yeah. For visual reasons and for the fact that if it's, if the crack is in the rosewood, then I know it's not structural because that's a veneer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A veneer on the, right. On the maple. Yeah. Oh, well, good enough. Let me try another one. Um, Yep, and we thank Zane. Thanks, Zane. Hi, Eric and Nat. Just a follow-up to a question I posted a few... He didn't say post. He said posted. I didn't just misread that. That's all right. A few episodes ago regarding out-of-phase sounds and Eric's old Harmony H62. 
You were discussing how to fatten up the out-of-phase sound by rolling back on one of the pickup's volume knobs to find the sweet spot. Yes. It just got me thinking about the differences between how certain guitars are wired, i.e. two pickups in parallel versus series, and how this would impact the sound of two magnetically out-of-phase pickups. As there's usually a drop in output when switching to the out-of-phase middle position, mm-hmm. I was thinking that having two pickups wired in series would yes. could fatten up the sound compared to parallel wiring. Yes. Good. I was thinking about wiring my Silvertone with a push-pull pot to change from series to parallel to see how it sounds when out-of-phase, and I was curious to know if Eric has experimented with this. Yes. That is, thanks again, Carl, with a K, in the UK. Carl, thanks for listening. You you must not have my book. Because, mm-hmm. yes, I have experimented much with this, and uh, I love out-of-phase settings, and one of the ways to fatten that up is to use a series wiring instead of parallel. So Absolutely. It's, so it's still out-of-phase, still out of but phase. it's connected in series. Yes. And that does... Kind of thicken up the sound a little bit. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're onto something there, Carl. Well, do it to the old Silvertone. What do you think about the old push-pull pot? To uh, then he I'm can not do into both. It. Not no. worth it, huh? I just hate push-pull pots. Just, just philosophical. Just, just hardwire it series, man. Yeah. That's what I would do. Do it. Do it, Carl. Okay. That was simple. Yeah. Good question. I know. Let's barrel through these. Let's do it. Barrel through. Greetings, Eric and Nat. I hope you and yours are doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> minimal comment. I am easily amused. This is going to be great. He ain't the only one. And lacking motivation and energy to do something actually useful. This guy been reading my mail. And I often find myself in the evenings watching YouTube videos of people performing neck resets on guitars. Oh, my God. Yeah, you've been reading our mail. You've seen a doctor? (laughs) There's no cure, man. Uh, I was wondering if, as part of the build process, would it help future repair people if the builder were to pre-drill holes under the appropriate fret in order to make the neck pocket easier to access for resets? How interesting. The holes could be plugged with something that some future repair person would immediately realize were essentially X marks the spot spots. The builder should know exactly where the pocket is, and the person resetting the neck years later would have less guesswork. Or would doing that during the build process unnecessarily complicate the build or ruin the neck joint from the start? Perhaps I have last... Perhaps I have at last asked a truly stupid question. Heck no. I realized that if neck pockets were always easy to find, some of the suspense of YouTube neck reset videos would be lost. But if those videos were to become too dull, there are always videos to watch of people plugging old tuner mounting holes on headstocks with toothpicks. Take care. That's Mike North of Cincinnati 08. Thanks, Mike. Mike, I've done my share of neck resets, and let me tell you, let me, let me just tell you, finding the uh, pocket, finding the void in the dovetail, okay, 
is the least of your problems really? during a neck reset. That's the easiest part. It, it's, it's actually pretty simple. You pull a fret and you, and you drill a few holes in the slot and it's, and you will feel it go into the void. And if you oh, don't, okay, yeah. if you don't, then you have to angle your drill until you do feel it go into the void. But there's not a whole lot hmm. of play. We know pretty much exactly where it is. It's under this slot. It's under this fret slot. And I tell you what, that, again, that's the easy part of a neck reset. Hmm. All the other stuff, <laughs> getting the neck off, Shaping the the dovetail to re you know shaping reshaping the heel every so part ev- of getting ev- the neck every, off yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> getting Let, the neck back on yeah let's let's it's not easier said um, than done for sure no it's not no one would ever do that and and it's just not a consideration when you're building a guitar to think twenty years in the future hey some knucklehead is going to reset the neck on on YouTube. <laughs> on this guitar. Yeah. Let's mark where he should drill. No. But thank you very much. That was a fun question. I appreciate that. Let's try this one. Hello, Eric and Nat. I have a 1964 Fender Precision Bass that has been my number one for a good 15 years. Long before I got it, someone had applied a finish of some sort over the existing lacquer on the back of the neck. Hmm. I assume to cover up the unusual or the usual wear spots that occur on a well-loved early 60s fender neck. Thankfully, they stopped before getting to the headstock face. Yeah. It doesn't look terrible, and you can only really tell on a close inspection. It's nicely ambered and aged appropriately along with the rest of the base. The problem is, it's a bit tacky feeling. Perhaps it was not cured properly due to the nitro underneath, or maybe it's just a very soft finish someone had lying around, uh, one that's not really appropriate for a guitar neck. I played it this way for 15 plus years, but I'm thinking about removing this overspray. It could be brushed on shellac even, I'm not sure. I'm hoping it's possible to find what's left of the original lacquer underneath. Eh. And if not, and everything comes off, I'll just refinish the back of the neck properly in tinted lacquer. Any tips, advice on how to gently start stripping back the layers of whatever the overspray is without damaging what lies beneath it? Mm. Thanks, friends. Bob in CA. That's the one in California. Mm. Hi, Bob. They got a lot of rain, man. You know, lacquer is is pretty touchy stuff, and it'll it'll strip pretty easily. So anything that you're going to use to take whatever's on top of it off, it's probably also going to take on take off what's underneath it. Mm. But here's the thing. I can almost guarantee it. The reason that they refinished the back of the neck in the first place is that the lacquer was gone. And that's why right. guys do that. Right. It's not just, it, so it's not over the top of something. There's was, no other reason they, for a guy to do that. They had nothing else. They had bare wood. Yeah. And so, you know, the, and, and that, the, the thin nitro finishes of vintage fenders it wears off pretty easily just with right. playing. Right. And, and he understood that too, to, uh, to cover up the usual wear spots. Yeah. 
but there's still he's not going to get it off the other stuff separate and and then have a viable I mean, lacquer could, underneath it you could try here's what you want to do is use the uh the tamest things first oh yeah right mild very you want to start mild maybe mm-hmm. um i mean you could even start with uh just a sponge and some water i don't Whoa. know what's on there yeah i don't know what's on yeah there. if it's some water-based something i don't know if it's shellac uh you could use that that's alcohol based but okay like rubbing alcohol will also take off lacquer Hmm. So, so you can't do it differentially. Yeah. Uh, and if you sand, then, you know, good luck sa- stopping at exactly right. the right spot. Heavens. And you're going to end up with uneven uneven and, spots. And he knows there will wear spots underneath anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that's tricky, man. That is very tricky. You could try a product like, you know, you could try naphtha. And that's differentially would dissolve... Yeah. Shellac versus it lacquer. It might. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe one step farther from naphtha is goof off. Mm-hmm. Which is similar-ish, isn't it? I'm not sure we what figure out all is in there. Yeah. Man. We, I, I just keep kidding. Well, we got the vintage gooseneck set up on, on the mic thing. stand. I apologize. Uh, yeah, that's a tricky one, man. But it's a common thing, and this is why guys hate oversprayed necks, is because there's really no way to get that toothpaste back in the tube. Mm-mm, that yeah. bell done got wrong. Yeah. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thank you so much for participating. If you'd like to participate in the show, this is my AM radio voice. It's good. Yeah, to I got call one Art too. Bell from East of the Rockies, dial 1 800. It's great. Art Bell. Uh,. If you want to participate in the show, and you should, go to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. You click the contact link, you fire off a missive, we'll make fun of you on the show. (laughs) The other way to do it is to to call or text 757-774-8482. That number, once again, is 757-774-8482. Thank you and good night. Bye-bye.